Hey everyone, today we're reading from Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34. And we're also marking All Saints Day, which is technically November 1st. This week, we remember all the faithful followers of Jesus who have gone before us, and we number ourselves among this great cloud of witnesses. I'm Ben Kramer. And I'm Alicia McClintock. And this is the A Plain Account Podcast. This week, I'm reading from the NIV, Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from them on, no one dared ask him any more questions. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. love this story i know it's so great yeah yeah um and there are versions of this in in um at least all the synoptic gospels i think john as well i should have double checked or confirmed but it's it's a very popular it's a very popular story that seems to have stuck in the imaginations of the original gospel writers um as a key moment in jesus's life and ministry to have been told in multiple versions and in multiple ways in in our early texts absolutely at least for my upbringing though i think i've been more familiar with the other retellings of it with upon these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets Mm. i love mark's more personal telling of this aspect of christ's ministry where it is an interaction between another individual and the individual says um this is more important than all the burnt uh sacrifices in all of israel right Right. Yeah. Let's focus on this like unnamed teacher of the law or or student of the scriptures. Um, it's a little bit difficult to to translate that, right? Like because some some versions might say lawyer, but it's not lawyer in the way that we would understand like a solicitor or somebody who's passed the bar, right? Right. Um, but uh, but somebody who studies the law, as in like this the scriptures, the Torah, the the Hebrew law, the Jewish law. Um, and so there's there's this teacher, the student, who overhears this debate, this conversation, and he's like really drawn in. He's like wooed by this exciting conversation. And seeing that Jesus is giving good answers, like smart, wise, thoughtful, faithful, um, but full of 
goodness, seeing that Jesus is giving good answers. He's like, Hey, make room for me. I want to go to there. Like, let, like, let me in. <laughs> he's like, he's like, I want to turn. And so he like, he finds his way into the conversation and says like, okay, Jesus, um, what is the most important commandment of all the commandments, which is the most important. And then has this really like intimate conversation with Jesus. And I love that kind of participation element that strikes yeah. me as really sweet. Absolutely. And especially given the context, it feels like this interaction is really an important one for the church to focus in on. In Mark chapter 12, Jesus begins with the parable of the tenants, after which the chief priests wanted and wanted to try to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd. And then Jesus starts being embroiled in this debate of with the Pharisees and the Herodians over what we would call today politics and religion, right? Mm -hmm. Both of these components are being brought to a head in the debates that these two parties are trying to pull Jesus into, both who are outwardly enemies but seem to have a common enemy with Jesus in regards to their perspectives. So, so much is happening here, and it's in that context that this teacher of the law or lawyer, as you have just described it, comes and asks this pivotal question. Yeah, and um, I am really struck by the tone of his entrance to the conversation, right? And so many of these other kinds of debates, the tension is so thick, you could cut it with a knife, right? right. And there right. are people who are trying to test Jesus and trying to trap him and trying to, that, like, that's the language that Mark uses, this kind of, like, mercenary, insidious, like, uh, like Jesus is navigating um, a minefield, right? Um but this is a this is a very different tone, right? Uh, someone who is genuinely interested in having a meaningful conversation with Jesus hears Jesus give good answers, answers that are that are true, faithful, and full of goodness, and longs to participate in that conversation. And I just think, wow, this is a model for for healthy public discourse, right? Yeah. Like, like when when Christians are engaged in ethical discussions, moral debates, conversations about who we are, what we should be, what we should do, what we should participate in. I wonder how many people overhear us and think, wow, they give good answers, answers right. that are true and beautiful and full of goodness. And I want to participate, yeah. right? Or, or how often does it feel the other way around, like full of of tension so thick you could cut it with a knife, right? Absolutely. Gosh. And, and on the other side of the coin as well, like I, I feel like this is such a beautiful reminder that when we hear public debates, like it would be easy to look at the, the group of Herodians as all thinking the same way as Herodians or mm -hmm. all of the Pharisees or the teachers of the law as all thinking one way. When this teacher of the law stepping forward to acknowledge the goodness of Christ's answer shows that not all teachers of the law think the same way, right? right. And so putting them all in this generalized camp is, is incorrect and, and wrong. Um, and it shows, it makes me ask the question, how many people didn't step forward? 
True. Who thought that Christ's answer was good, but you know was a little little afraid to maybe step forward and show solidarity with Christ's answer. And so I think that gives us a good lesson today about like when we think of Republicans, do we have this whole monolithic identity that they all fit into, where they're right and where they're wrong? The same with uh, Democrats or what whatever group we can think about. Mm-hmm. Do we apply these monolithic um, generalizations that may actually reduce the possibility of someone stepping forward and saying, that's a good answer. That's from Christ. And I want to know more, you know, um, yes. how are we fostering that sort of dialogue? Yes. Yeah. And I love that. That's the example that's, that's posted here in this, in this scene, right? That someone hears Jesus's answer and recognize that is from God. Mm-hmm. That is a true and faithful and good and beautiful reading of the scriptures. And yes, absolutely. And, and I, I hope that we're always cultivating that kind of perspective that we can receive God's truth uh, as a good answer from whoever gives it, mm-hmm. right? Um, no matter what their label is or what uh, what their social status is or what group they belong to or right. don't belong to or whatever, a good answer that comes from God is a good answer that comes from right. God, right? Yes, and, absolutely. And that's, that's the kind of, open-hearted awareness that I think true disciples are cultivating. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, let's get into a little bit of what, so he's in awe of this great answer, which if, uh, you know, you want to go read it, it's in verses 24 through 27, this answer that is called good, but then he asks for more good answers, essentially, uh, and says, Jesus, what of all the commandments, which is the most important? And it doesn't feel like it's a trapping question like the ones we've heard previously in this passage, but it's really authentic. Like acknowledging Christ's good answers, the wisdom that comes from Christ and says, now tell me now that we have access to each other, tell me what's the most important commandment. It just feels so authentic here. Yeah. Yes. Um, We've been, sticking with these themes of discipleship and this kind of attitude does feel like really authentic discipleship, like, like an eager desire to know Jesus an earnestness to, to say like, like, tell me what must I do to be saved? Right. That was um, another question from someone who approached Jesus a few weeks ago um, or, or what do you require of us? What's the greatest commandment? Um, And then Jesus says, his quotation or a version of the Shema, right? Like, like a pillar of the Jewish faith tradition and practice. Um, Hero Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord, your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second love your neighbor as yourself, right? We've heard, we've heard this, like we said at the beginning of our chat, we've heard this a lot. Um, but I do think it's important to settle in and say, like, this is a good answer. Yes. <laughs> this is this is the 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 summarization, the summary, <laughs> the summary of um, of like the entire law and the prophets. Right in one of the other accounts of this story, it says all the law and the prophets hang on these things. Right. Um, 
And this is a good answer from Jesus. What kind of strikes you about it, Ben? Like what seems, what seems important or, or worthy of notice here? Well, I think uh, one of the things that has always struck me about this response and all of the gospel accounts is that when the Shema is connected here with what Christ acknowledges as the primary commandment and the second is equal to it, right? The love of neighbor that Jesus is pointing out where a lot of where we've drawn Trinitarian theology, he is mirroring here the oneness of God and how Mm -hmm. God desires oneness with Israel and that all of Israel, all of God's people are supposed to be one unified together. But not only that goes further and mirrors this call for oneness in our entire being. Mm -hmm. Uh, A commentator, I thought, put a great spin on the Greek here into an English translation and uh, put it this way. You shall love the Lord, the God of you with the whole heart of you and the whole soul of you and the whole strength of you. Um, that's uh, Amanda Roberst Renaud from, uh, she's the assistant professor of theology at um, Valparosa uh, University. Uh, but I love how she puts that because it points to these incredibly important elements of who we are and calls for a Shema of self, a a Shema Mm -hmm. of being, that we are to be one just as God is one and put our full full being into worship, loving Mm -hmm. of God and neighbor. Um, And so I, I think it's a temptation to get into the compartmentalization, which is something you mentioned before we went live, Alicia, the compartmentalization of like, what is heart, what is soul, what is self. And that may be important to some extent, but what Christ is emphasizing, at least from, from my vantage point, this oneness that God has, we too are to be one in our being in our love of God and neighbor. Yes, exactly. Yeah. That with, everything that we are with our whole being, we love God. Um, And equally with our whole being, we learn to love ourselves as God loves us, right? That we see ourselves with God's eye. and, um, and, And from that space also with our whole selves, seeing as God sees, we love our neighbor. And it's this kind of Trinitarian movement, if I might put it that way, this sort of three three levels all working at once, um, a wholehearted love of God and a, a properly wholehearted love of self and a properly wholehearted love of neighbor. And that all of these are flowing out of... Um, yeah, God's God's true oneness that that we are one in the same kind of way. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. I, I can't get away from that picture in all the ways in which the gospels retell this mm. um, this event with Christ. Yeah. Yes. And then, like you had pointed out, I love that it's the that it's 
the questioner who responds to say like, yes, well said, like that resonates with me. And I feel that deep in my very being that this Mm -hmm. is true. This is a good answer. You're right in, in saying that that this is who God is. This is what God does. This is what God is up to. Um, And that to love God with all your heart and your understanding and your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. Mm -hmm. Yes. (laughs) And then this is, this is one of the things that strikes me about this passage is Jesus, Jesus sees another good answer. Jesus sees that this person has answered wisely, our text says. And Jesus says, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And I think, wow, this this guy comes into the conversation because he's excited about um, this discussion about who God is and what God is up to and how Jesus is approaching the text. Little did he know (laughs) that he is not far from the kingdom of God. Um, And that feels feels really... um, it feels like a really big spiritual breakthrough, I think. It really does. And I feel like, and correct me if I'm if I'm off here, it feels like this was also a risk for this individual. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, going back to the context of it, Jesus, there's there's at least a warrant <laughs> cognitively out for Christ's uh, arrest among the chief mm-hmm. priests, right? They want to arrest him. The Herodians, like tensions are building with both the political and religious elites in, in uh, Israel. And this teacher of the law steps forward and acknowledges Christ's goodness. They vibe off each other. You know, they have this great connection. And then it, our passage ends with and from then on no one dared ask him any more questions so if this teacher of the law we don't know if this teacher of the law stayed with jesus Hmm. or went back with the other teachers of the law the other scribes and pharisees um and it seems really risky to show any sort of solidarity or um positivity towards this controversial figure who is jesus at this moment and so for him to do that, this individual, is, it seems really, really risky and yet still does this to acknowledge. And again, it's risky to point out the extravagance of God's love. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I Part of me also wonders maybe, maybe this person had significant influence or, hmm. um, or position amongst sure. the the other teachers of the law. I guess I'm just wondering like why would nobody else dare to ask Jesus questions after this? Sure. Um and the like one of the answers that kind of comes to mind again this is just kind of my sacred imagination trying to fill in the gaps behind the text because the text doesn't say. Um but I think the only reason people would not dare to ask Jesus any more questions is if like a really prominent leader and teacher um, confirms that Jesus's answers are wise and good and true. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and nobody, nobody wants to risk like more public support of Jesus in, sure. in this space, like as they're um, like you said, seeking this warrant for his arrest. Mm-hmm. Um or that's that's how the text seems to me today. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I I think I'm reminded after you s- said that I'm reminded of I think it's a Rachel Held Evans quote that she said that the 
gospel isn't scandalous for who it keeps out. It's scandalous for who it lets in. Mm -hmm. Um, And I really do feel like that's why from the parable of the tenants forward and this emphasis on loving God, loving neighbor, um, you don't have this sense of it's so important that you protect the law. It's so important mm-hmm. that you be a watch guard of, of, uh, of false theology. Like you need to be a gatekeeper over the purity of the law, right? Like that's not the primary commandment here. Yeah. The primary commandment is love. And mm-hmm. that for people who want to hold on to the, the purity of the, the law or the, the integrity of their theological interpretation, that is, seems to be a, um, a siren of, of warning or fear that mm. the integrity of what they've held on to is going to fall apart when like, if that's something, it just points to a very f- fragile approach. I think mm-hmm. if, if loving other people brings about this desire to arrest Jesus and lead to his crucifixion, like it just shows what, how scandalous this message of the gospel really is on how extravagant God's love is. Yes. Yes. And then how world changing it is to be totally rooted in that wholehearted, unapologetic love of God and love of neighbor. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I feel like this individual really highlights what Christ's full love of God and full love of the world will lead him to, mm-hmm. which is his sacrifice on the cross, which is the greatest sacrifice. So there's that connection there too, with what totally. he says more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices, Christ himself will be that uh, for the world out of love. Yeah. Wow. That's so good. Well, let's take a quick break. Uh, Stick around for our thoughts on preaching and applying the text after this message. Well, the collect for All Saints Day is this. Almighty God, you have knit together your elect in one communion and fellowship in the mystical body of your Son, Christ our Lord. Give us grace so to follow your blessed saints in all virtuous and godly living, that we may come to those ineffable joys that you have prepared for those who truly love you. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns, one God in glory everlasting. Amen. Amen. Now that we're back, Let's talk about how we would apply this text. Are there any sermon ideas or talking points that stick out to you? Um, How would you preach this text this week? Or maybe are there other stories and ideas that this text reminds us of that we might include in the conversation? What do you think, Ben? Yeah, I... I, as we were discussing the context of this, I couldn't help be, but be reminded of 
um, how we live still in such a divided society. Mm-hmm. We still have Herodians and Pharisees. We have teachers of the law and, and several other things. Um, so we have factions. I just recently read Galatians 5, where it says this dominion of empire or dominion of the flesh that Paul talks about. We often Mm. kind of only interpret that as our physical bodies, but Paul is talking about this dominion over our full being, our full self, uh, that only leads to uh, selfish compulsion and selfish desires, right? Um, And so, and he says that one of the fruits of this flesh-like dominion is factions and divisions, Mm -hmm. envy, and fits of rage. He even says that in in the Greek. And and so, like, I can't help but think of the world that we live in and how it's, I've learned a deep lesson in ministry of the temptation of moderacy, where Mm -hmm. I just like, I just want to preach Jesus. You know, I, I'm not, I'm not going to get pulled into the right or to the left. Like I'm, I just want to preach the gospel and stay in the middle. And as a Wesleyan, that's a huge temptation, right? Via media. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. But at the same time, those who are being oppressed will hear a leader claiming moderacy as saying, we don't care about your oppression. Right. Um, And I'm not sure that Jesus can ever be declared as a moderate. He's always on the side of the least among us, always on the side of the poor, the powerless, the oppressed. And, And so hearing, I think that helps me to hear the Herodians and the Pharisees in a new light where they have different theological perspectives, different politics completely. And yet what is offending them on a core level is Christ's solidarity with the most vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And so I think that really helps to say we can still be bold in calling out the idols of the extreme right, extreme left, you know, and, and in anywhere in between but it's so crucial as Christ followers to maintain all our solidarity with the oppressed and the most vulnerable as Christ did. So that way we don't get caught up in this temptation of moderacy and apathy. Um, but we are really loving our neighbor as we, we love ourselves in pursuit of God's kingdom. Um, and I'm also, I think a, a big preaching point on this too would be like, it's so tempting to generalize people of these different camps, like all Mm -hmm. of Herodians or all of Pharisees. And and I think this conversation, Jesus doesn't show a negative reaction. Oh, you're a teacher of the law. I know that you believe this, 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 and this, right. Mm -hmm. And completely cut off communication. No, he sees that this person acknowledges this good answer and enters into an authentic conversation doesn't debate doesn't attack mm-hmm. um but really enters into charitable discourse and so there's i think there's a lot of of meat here to um unpack for the divisions that we see in our society today what what are some of the things that you uh would would advocate for yeah i i guess maybe just to respond to some of those um, ideas and questions that you've just posed. Um, 
I am reminded again of the unity of God that's mm-hmm. mentioned here in in the in this passage and how that like comprehensive unifying love of God leads us to a comprehensive and unifying love of all people mm-hmm. and that there there is no opposing view there is no other side <laughs> to, to that that like that that is that is the way a unifying wholehearted all-consuming love of God and love of all people. That's it. That like like there is there is no counterpoint. There is no no other perspective. That is the side, um, and and that is and that kind of wholehearted practice is greater than all burnt offerings or sacrifices. Um, and That's so and well I think, said. Leave it I to think, you, literary <laughs> genius, to put it. in <laughs> A great place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then I, I again, I think I'm finding myself more and more attracted to these side characters in the gospel stories, right? Like this, this teacher of the law has no name, but I find him so compelling, so earnest and sympathetic and, um, and thoughtful. And I just love this idea that he is wooed into conversation with Jesus by overhearing other people talk about Jesus. <laughs> and um, so I think some of the questions I'm asking myself are like, what what are my conversations in the public sphere like? Um, especially when I'm in context with other people who don't know Jesus. Like, do I talk about Jesus and my love for him? And do I talk about Jesus as my friend? Am I consistently offering good answers full of wise Christian love in these spaces um, that that would woo people to deeper conversations yeah. about Jesus and with Jesus? Yeah. I guess maybe, maybe that's the move I'm thinking about. Like, where is that transition to conversations about Jesus to conversations with Jesus? And am I a catalyst in my daily life for that move for other people? Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. My my first thought goes to Christians' presence on social media. I know. Uh, Ooh, Lord have mercy. <laughs> Lord, we, seriously, Lord have mercy on us for the ways absolutely. that we that we have failed to be loving, holistic folks who give good answers full of truth, beauty, mm-hmm. goodness, kindness, generosity in the in these spaces. Yeah, absolutely. Gosh, this is such a rich and incredible text. I'm so thankful for this conversation. Totally. We could go on and on, but I think that's all the time that we have for today. Uh, So I'll remind our listeners to check out the website for more written commentaries for the scriptures this week. And sign up for our newsletter to stay in the know. Connect with us on social media for further conversation and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show, leave us a review and share with your friends. It really helps get the word out. And special thanks to all the writers who contributed this week and to Matt Ghost for our original music, editing, and production. Join us next week for a return to Mark chapter 12 and some extravagant giving. See you next week.